the word of the Lord. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized in one spirit, into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that are less honorable, we treat with special honor. God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts should have equal concern for each other. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. It's called The Waiting Father. Philip Yancey wrote it in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. Not long ago, I heard from a pastor friend who was battling with his 15-year-old daughter. For several nights, she had not bothered to come home at all. The parents had tried various forms of punishment to no avail. The daughter lied to them deceived them, and found a way to turn the tables on them. It's your fault for being so strict. My friend told me, I remember standing before the plate glass window in my living room, staring out into the darkness, waiting for her to come home. I felt such rage. I wanted to be like the father of the prodigal son, yet I was furious with my daughter or the way she could manipulate us and twist the knife to hurt us. And of course she was hurting herself more than anyone. I understood then the passages in the prophets expressing God's anger. The people knew how to wound him and God cried out in pain. And yet I must tell you that when my daughter came home that night, or rather the next morning, I wanted nothing in the world so much is to take her in my arms, to love her, 
to tell her I wanted the best for her. I was a helpless, lovesick father. Now when I think about God, I hold up that image of the lovesick father, which is miles away from the stern monarch I used to envision. I think of my friend standing in front of the plate glass window, gazing achingly into the darkness. I think of Jesus' depiction of the waiting father, heartsick, abused, yet wanting above all else to forgive and begin again. To announce with joy, this is my daughter who was dead and is alive again. She was lost and is found. Mozart's Requiem contains a wonderful line that has become my prayer. One I pray with increasing confidence. Remember, merciful Jesu, that I am the cause of your journey. I think he remembers. It would be equally true this morning to say the line is this. Remember, merciful Jesu, that the body is the cause of your journey. I think he remembers. Do we? There is a dangerous heresy rampant in the church of Jesus Christ today. It has its origin in the marketplace, and in the marketplace it's perfectly legitimate. But in the church, it is downright deadly and unchristian. The heresy is to consider the folks who sit in the pews as consumers. It is for the folks who sit in the pews to consider themselves consumers. It is for the folks who sit in the pews to act like consumers. To think more of what we want than what we can offer. To think more of what we need than what others might need. To think more about what satisfies me than how I can satisfy you. The heresy I'm talking about is to consider the ministry of the church a product. And when times change and preferences are different and my feelings are other, then to move on and shop elsewhere and buy a different brand. And in the process to forget that the body, this body, his body, is the cause of his journey. One is not just a number. It is a summary of what it was Jesus Christ was born and lived and died and rose and ascended to do. For Jesus' sake, think about it with me this morning. Every once in a while, we confront a text in Scripture we've heard many times, we know pretty well, and we can just let it run past our eyes. 
but we don't really believe it. Not only is there such a text in the passage you just heard, but the text is repeated in three different ways. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. There should be no division in the body. We read those verses, we hear those words, we nod our heads in silent, pious agreement. My finger is no less a part of my body than my foot. My eye is no less a part of my body than my ear. My nose is no less a part of my body than my knee. Uh huh. But then there are all these fingers and all these feet and all these eyes and all these ears and all these noses and all these knees. And in the body of Christ, not only here but elsewhere, it is possible for a finger to be left out or a foot to walk out or an eye to opt out or an ear to give out or a nose to be left out or a knee to crawl out. My body, if it sustains just so much as a paper cut, and I did this week, not for this sermon, but it happened, and it's getting better now, but it was right there on my finger, and every time I touched it, the whole body knew. The whole body was hurt, the whole body was irritated, the whole body took notice of what happened to my finger. But in the body of Christ, it is possible for someone going through the agony of divorce to be effectively sidelined until that person gets past it, which usually is interpreted until we can get past it. In the body of Christ, it is possible for those who grieve a terrible loss to feel like the rest of the body is waiting for them to get beyond it and to do it about as quickly as we can. In the body of Christ, it is possible that the older members can be forgotten. When in my body, the older parts of me, the parts that aren't working quite the way they used to, or as quickly, are paid special attention to. It's not uncommon in the body of Christ for young people to be overlooked, teenagers to be criticized, singles to be invisibilized, when in my body, new patches of skin, tender growing parts, sensitive parts of me are more carefully protected and watched. If we honestly believe what Paul said in this passage we've heard so often, each one of us 
would be busy in the body. Every one of us would care about all the rest of the members of the body. Every one of us would appreciate the rest of the body and would be looking for occasions and words to say so. Every one of us would know and act like we needed all the other parts. Every one of us would work tirelessly for the health and well-being of the rest of the body. As it is at present, that does not always happen. And at any given moment in time, our body is either somewhat or much more unpresentable. In Corinth, they had body problems, and Paul's addressing them in 1 Corinthians 12. Corinth was in some distinct ways a kind of a typical modern suburban Christian congregation. In the congregation, there were people with varying backgrounds. There were people with varying experiences. There were people with differing expectations and different employments. There were people with different opinions and people with different desires. Some of the folks in the congregation said, well, we prefer Paul. Maybe because he was a missionary par excellence and they had an outreach orientation. Some said, no, we, we prefer Apollos. Maybe because he was a brilliant person who was known to be an eloquent speaker and that's what attracted them. Still others said, no, we're for Cephas, Peter. Maybe because he was the first disciple and the best known and the most popular. And others said, no, we're of Christ, which on the surface sounds better unless it's meant to say, the rest of you are all wrong. We've gone for the right answer and we're better than you. This was a congregation in Corinth that entertained the heresy I began by explaining to you and actually had members of the church in almost so many words <clears throat> saying, I want my church to do this for me. Now you, Paul reminds them, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. It is an evidence of how much it is that Christ loves us that he actually chooses to call us his body. And it is a measure of how impossible it is for us to act like we are a part of his body and not appreciate all the other parts. You, that's plural in the original. If Paul were from Texas, he would have said y'all. All of you are the body of Christ. Designed and created by God, belonging to God, responsible to God, revealing God, and each one of you is a part of it. Nobody is to be ignored. Nobody is to be belittled. Nobody is to be glorified. Nobody is to be forgotten. Nobody is unimportant. Nobody is without responsibility. You are the body of Christ. 
and each one of you is a part of it. That's discerning the body. And then Paul says something amazing. We've heard this one before, too. And if I started it, you might be able to finish the sentence. We've nodded our heads in agreement. In the church, God has appointed some to be. And then we realize that Paul has been inspired by the Spirit of God to say, I I am not to expect my church to do for me I am expected by God to do for my church. The proper terminology is I have found it's not I have found a church that I love, but God has placed me in a church that he loves. And that by the way is a literal translation of the text. Appointed means put, placed, positioned. God has placed me and each of you in a church he loves for his purpose. And then Paul goes on and says, oh, first of all prophets, then apostles, or first of all apostles, then prophets, then teachers. Oh, here we go with the headliners again, the big names. I'm not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a teacher in the New Testament sense of the word. But the next five things Paul mentions are not even associated with individual people. Helps and healing and miracles and administration and tongues. And Paul is moved by the Spirit of God to separate those things from individual people to say, it's not the people who matter so much, it's that God has supplied the church with all of it to be used there by those who are particularly gifted in those areas to minister to the whole body. Not extraordinary people, just people who have surrendered themselves to his Spirit and to his guiding and to his use in his body as he sees fit. Think about that with me. You are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. And God has put you, placed you, positioned you in the church. Each of us has an appointment from God. An appointment to discern an appointment to keep. So it just may not be said about this church or any other that this church just does not care about its members. I must ask the question, am I caring the way I ought to, the way I could, the way I have been gifted to care? It may not be said this church just doesn't Minister to its community or its world. I must ask before God, am I ministering to my community and my world and showing others how? It may not be said, this church just doesn't meet people's needs. I must be asking, do I meet needs of folks I rub shoulders with and sit in pews with and meet in teams with? It simply can't be said, this church doesn't change. I have to ask myself the question, am I letting God, through his word and spirit, in worship and in other areas, change me? It may not be said, this church doesn't recognize people's gifts. 
I must offer my gifts to be of service to God wherever God has put me. It may not be said this church isn't friendly, but I must ask, am I the kind of friend God wants me to be? It may not be said this church is way too materialistic, but I must be asking myself, do I struggle with materialism to free myself from dependence on things and yield myself more completely always to God? It can't be said this church, uh, church's worship does not move me. I must be asking myself the question, am I letting God through the worship here move me? I want to be careful about this one, but it may not be said, that sermon did nothing for me. I must be asking, what is God telling me through the word that sermon is based on? It can't be said this church doesn't witness, but I must be asking, do I witness to his love where I live, where I work, where I learn, where I play, where I worship, everywhere I am? Having heard the challenge last week to commit ourselves to Jesus and be Jesus' people in the world, I challenge us today to commit ourselves to each other and be Jesus' body in the world, to discern our appointment and to keep it. Tom Smale has written a book entitled Reflected Glory. And in it he said, and I quote, Concentration on personal religious experiences as such could shut us up in holy huddles where we edify ourselves and seek new sensations. But it is surely significant that today the key concerns are with the practical rediscovery of Christian community and what it means to be the body of Christ. That's the challenge, to defeat the heresy I was talking about, letting God break up holy huddles in the body of Christ, and each of us finding within this body how God, through the rest of us, meets our needs. Then parents who have a child who has given them the grief that I read about at the beginning of this message will find that there really are other members who will ask them how they're doing and listen to the answer and hold hands with them and hug them and pray for them and pray with them because they care. Then the members here whose marriages are on a rocky road right now will find that there really are members whose marriages may not be a whole lot stronger than theirs but who will not leave them to struggle on their own, but are willing to listen and advise because they care. Then those with faith hanging by a thread will find that there are those here who will help them try to get a hold of God and hang on and who will not let go of them even if they do let go of God because they care. And those who feel awkward and ill at ease 
in the body. We'll find that there are members here who will take them in and take time with and for them and help them know they do belong because they care. Then those who are lonely and find it hard to meet people and who feel that their age or their health or their economic status or something else has cut them off from the body will find that there are members here who will be their friends and who will come to them and stay with them because they care. And those who struggle to overcome and live down a mountain of guilt or an irreparably damaged reputation will find that there are really people here who can forgive and accept them because they care. And those who are new to the faith, who have never gotten deep enough into the faith and feel inferior and uncertain because of it, will find that there are other members here who seek them out and take them in and build them up and make them strong because they care. Then those who have been or still are abusing themselves with chemicals or something else that is either harmful or illegal or both, will find that there are those members here who will take the time and endure the pain of struggling with them and right beside them and will pick them up time and time again, who will even dare to confront them because they care. And people who are financially strapped will find that there are people here who are willing to share people who want to give because they care. And people who are alienated right now from the body will find that there are people in the body who love them and look for them and will talk with them because they care about them. When we consciously and conscientiously break up the holy huddles that so easily include us and exclude others, then we will have a much better understanding that one is not a number. It is the quality of our life together. And it is our testimony of faith in the one God and Father of us all. Paul leaves absolutely no doubt about it. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. When we begin or continue to become what by grace we are, there and only there in this lonely world do we know that we are not alone. Philip Yancey also wrote an article once entitled The Shape of God's Body. A few paragraphs from that will be our conclusion. I look around on Sunday at the people populating the pews and I see the risk that God has assumed. For whatever reason, he now reveals himself in the world not through a pillar of smoke and fire, not even through the physical body of his son in Galilee, but through the mongrel collection that is my church and every other such gathering under his name. 
That is our calling in this confused and confusing world to share in the representation of what God is like. The Apostle Paul never seemed to get over the shock of that metaphor. He took the mundane issues at Corinth so seriously because he believed they reflected not only on Corinth but on God. For the watching world, we ourselves serve proof that God is alive. We form the visible shape of what he is like. When I look at that shape around me, I easily get discouraged. We form such a poor image of what God is like. And yet when I turn to a book like 1 Corinthians, I feel a sudden gust of hope. To whom was Paul writing those soaring words of chapters 12 through 14? To that motley group of earthy Christians, idolaters, adulterers, and the like. By their nature, metaphors have the power to inspire pride in what we are, while also spurring us on toward an ideal of what we should be. I can see why Paul relied on them so much. No church I know today totally fulfills the promise of the metaphors I have mentioned here, and yet every church represents the promise and offers a whisper of hope. We all reveal some aspect of the shape of God's body. And that is also true right here. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we are your body. Help us never to resist that or chafe under that label or try to escape, but to surrender and by the molding hands of your spirit be made into what you want us to be. Help us to recognize that one is not a number, it's a testimony of faith. And may we grow in oneness in Jesus Christ that shows others not only that we get along and care, but that we belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.